Welcome to the greatest show anywhere in media on the subject of leadership, lessons in leadership. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba. It is blue day. That's right. We're blue. Not every guest has to be wearing blue, but we are. Mary, how are we doing today? We're doing great, Steve. How are you today? I'm great. I sent Mary 14 text messages this morning about things that need to be done. And she said, by the way, we have a broadcast today. Some mm -hmm. of us are just too pumped up. Yep. Uh, Mary, tell everyone who makes this show possible, and then we'll introduce our terrific guest over at uh, Valley. Will do. I'm grabbing my cheat sheet here. So uh, first and foremost, I would love to say that Valley is one of our wonderful supporters of this program. We have Veolia, Prager Metis, New Jersey Sharing Network, uh, the International uh, Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, Seton Hall University and the Bacino Leadership Institute, the Northward Center, Kessler Foundation, and Delta Dental of New Jersey. So we have yeah, a great we have no lineup. more time for the show. We just had a name I know it's done. Thanks for joining us. Farewell. Mary, introduce, <laughs> introduce Yvonne. Definitely. Oh, my goodness. It's my pleasure. So Yvonne Sorowitz uh, is the Senior Executive Vice President, Chief People Officer at Valley Bank. Yvonne, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Good morning, both of you. Good morning. Yvonne, first of all, Yvonne, it's a pleasure to have you. Yvonne, uh, by way of background, um, do people sometimes mess up your last name? They do. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I, oh, for years. Uh, do you correct them? No. Okay, good. And, and But I, in terms of communication and having difficult conversations, this is not even a good segue, but I've been thinking about this a lot. Yvonne is... Um, one of the top leaders at Valley. We've had Ira Robbins on here before and other Valley leaders. Yvonne, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is difficult conversations. And you may ask, what's the connection to leadership? And here's my sense of it. It's a very difficult time. It's a challenging time. Um, for a lot of people, we're taping this fall 2022. How have you prepared yourself and how do you prepare others to have difficult conversations around HR, personnel issues, performance issues, and how many people are just so reluctant to do it that they pay the price as a team, please. You know what, Steve, I think difficult conversations are kind of part of what is a manager's skill set. So it's it's not it's not an add on like and I guess I would question whether you really have to have the word difficult because it's about having conversations. So if you establish trust and you have the conversations that matter, the difficult conversation becomes part of just the conversation. And, and it's just an ongoing way of communicating where if something's not going right, you have to be honest and transparent and say, hey, I need to tell you something. Uh, you know, this is, you know, the situation and it's actually not, you know, it's not something that may be positive. But if you establish that level of trust where the person knows that you have their best interests at heart, then they will appreciate the fact that you've had the courage to have that conversation with them. And I want to let everyone know that there's a wonderful Valley Leadership Academy that we've been a part of for several years that Yvonne and her team have allowed us uh, to, to, I don't want to say administer because they administer it, we facilitate it. But Yvonne, I will say this subject of whether you call them difficult conversations or just necessary conversations, a fair number of people that we've coached over the years just say things like this and then I'll have Mary jump in. I just don't like confrontation. And I'm sitting there going, aren't you helping that person by having an honest conversation? Please. Why do you think so many call it confrontation that's so difficult, Yvonne? Because they think it's a confrontation, right? So if you if you reframe, like I'll go back to my original statement, which is we, we need to have a conversation. And quite honestly, you owe it to that person to have the conversation. And it doesn't have to be a, confronta a confrontation. How you approach that conversation is important. You have to 
it have an environment where the person understands that you're about to have a conversation and, you know, and it's going to be a meaningful conversation and that both of you are listening. It's equally important for the person who's who's basically stating the message that they're listening to the reaction that they're fully into the you know into the message that they understand how that message is being received by the recipient well said mary's never uh, been reluctant to have those conversations with me over the years and we're better for it mary jump in yeah well it has taken a lot of practice as we always say practice makes progress because it is hard having those challenging conversations but on the flip side how do you motivate team members, especially over the past more than two and a half years with the pandemic, with people working remotely, now going back to work? How do you make sure that your team is motivated so they do decide to stay at Valley and continue to work hard for the uh, organization? It's a million dollar question. The million dollar question. How do you motivate? How do you retain in this environment? So I will say that what really matters is that they know that they matter, that they're part of the organization, that they're connected to the organization, that they have a purpose with the organization, that their work matters, that they see a future with Valley, that they have career opportunities and opportunities come in different ways. Most importantly, that they feel like they're included and they feel they can be themselves or, you know, authenticity matters. So we've done a lot of work in, in terms of inclusion and, you know, thinking about who, you know, everyone counts and, and also really driving collaboration across the organizations. Cause that other topic that we started on conversations is equally important in terms of how people feel connected to the organization and that their work matters. Mm. Stay on this, Mary, the recruitment issue. We've lost some people on our team. We've had to recruit, develop, train, coach, whatever you want to say, and then hope and pray they stay. Leadership and recruitment of talent, Yvonne, please. So they, it's kind of interesting because why do people join an organization, right? So, I mean, the foundational, the foundational aspects matter, right? You have to be competitive with compensation. You have to offer, you know, the things that, you know, basically are just foundational in terms of uh, people being interested. But beyond that, it's the culture, right? And it's really, what's our story? And if our story is one of growth and opportunity, and it's exciting to be part of the organization, and, and you feel that you can make an impact, then people join us for, they really join us for our culture. They join us for our, our leadership. They see that the leadership has a vision in terms of where we're driving the organization, that we're growing. Like, we, we, we don't just say that we're growing. We are growing. Like, you could, you could look and see that the organization is growing, right? So, in, in a growing organization where, where the leadership is um, serious about talent, and you can see that evident in the culture, that's really the differentiator. Mary, I know you have more. I sure do. Talk about the work-life balance. Right before we got on the air, we were talking about our, our collective love for Peloton and exercising. How important is it for- P.S. Peloton is not a sponsor. I just want to- They are not. Me. I know. But if you want to be, hey, there's opportunities if you're watching. And She's, she's very entrepreneurial, Yvonne. She's very entrepreneurial. You've taught me well after more than two decades, Steve. So the question really goes down to how important is that work-life balance, whether it's working out, reading, yoga, meditation, uh, talk about that connection to leadership. Now, you know, it's it's really important and it, and it is one of the differentiating factors in terms of why people join us and why people stay. And yet, you know, in, in parts of the organization, it's a little harder because we are a financial services organization. So we have a large portion of our, uh, you know, of our staff that, you know, are there for our clients in, in a retail environment. But at the same time, we have, you know, a whole other part of the organization that kind of, that supports, you know, the other 
that supports basically the business, right? So when we when we think about work-life balance and we think about sort of this concept of, you know, return to the office, because it's not return to work, right? It's return to the office. You know, we've had many conversations in terms of what's the right sort of balance in that balance. And, you know, we do believe that collaboration, communication, our culture is one of collaboration and communication that we do have to have some presence in the office. But I'll say this, Mary, like you, you can have a board guideline that says we expect that people, you know, are in the office of, you know, some number of days. At the same time, you have to have flexibility within that board guideline for individual circumstances. Because if there's if there's one learning on this topic, it's that it's so individual. Like you can't, you can't like what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. So you have to have some flexibility and you really have to have those, again, those conversations. You have to have those conversations with managers just to understand what, what what's most important to that person in terms of their work-life balance. So if on policies, corporate policies at Valley or in any organization, they're not set in cement? No, no, we, we have guidelines and we have an understanding. So right now, for example, our guideline is that, you know, we expect our associates who are designated to work from an office to be here three days a week. But within that three days a week, there, there are exceptions. There may be a week where somebody needs to, you know, be at a school somewhere or, or drop some, you know, drop some family member off to some, you know, some particular appointment. There, there has to be flexibility with, within those guidelines. And we give managers that flexibility. Last question on my end. Again, I talked about the Valley Leadership Academy that Stan delivers as part of succession planning, talent development, a huge part of the Valley culture. Um, long story short, some people say, hey, why am I getting coached? I'm really good already. Why do I need this? I, what, is there a problem with me? How do you frame this as an opportunity, not something that, oh yeah, you need help because you have a problem, please. So I, I actually thought you were going to ask me about, you know, how we view the Leadership Academy in the context take, take of sort of developing our Take leader. it the way you want. This is a pretty loose show. <laughs> Go where you want with it. No, you know, because I was I was thinking this morning as I was running, Steve, just, just so you know, <laughs> no Peloton today. Tomorrow's my Peloton day. But as, as I was thinking about the Leadership Academy and I was thinking about, you know, the Leadership Academy for us is really our, our academy for our leaders of leaders. So, so it's so important for us in terms of who we put in that, in that academy, because what we're doing is strengthening their leadership skills. And they are the leaders who are the next generation leaders, who are the leaders that we expect to be in broader, bigger sort of running valley, you know, um, in the future, right? So it's it, it, it's extremely important that they have, you know, as sharp a skill set across the strategic communication, you know, leading teams. They need all those skills because if we expect them to be the leader of leaders, we need them to be the strongest leaders, the best leaders they can be, right? Now, within the context of the program, I think what's really important is that you and Mary and the team know Valley. You know our strategy. You know our culture. You know who we are you know where we're headed most importantly because you need to know where we're headed so you can then basically uh, coach those leaders to the future, right? So that given that we're thinking they're our next generation leaders, they need to be prepared for bigger things sure. in the future. And so that's what's really the secret sauce in terms of the power of the Leadership Academy. It's really your knowledge of us, of where we're headed, and their, their knowledge that there's a big expectations. So it's not development. It's basically, hey, we're we're here to prepare you to do bigger things in the future because we know, right? We know we need that next generation's talent. 
It's really well said. And as we wrap up this segment, I want to thank Yvonne and also make it clear, and I'm not going to turn this into a commercial for our company, Stand and Deliver, that Mary and I have been running for two decades, leadership development company. But I'll say this, people who say they have a training or a coaching product and it's cookie cutter, it's what it is, and here, take it or leave it, here's the price. If you don't know an organization, I won't get on my soapbox, but if you don't know an organization, it's culture, it's people, what it wants to achieve long-term, you can't really do this well because you're doing it in a vacuum. And so for Valley and also on another segment we have with our great friend Andre Guaf from Hackensack Meridian Health, we know that organization well as well and that history matters. Um, sorry, I dig it on my soapbox. Hey, Yvonne, cannot thank you enough for joining us as always to you and the family at Valley, uh, to Ira and everyone, thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you both. Have a great day. You too. I'm Steve Barabato, Mary Gamma. This is Lessons in Leadership. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, resourcing the world, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Lessons in Leadership is uh, pleased to welcome Dr. Andre Glock, physician and chief of oncology, Hackensack Meridian, John Thurr Cancer Center, Hackensack University Medical Center, part of the exceptional uh, network, the Hackensack Meridian Health. Good to see you, Dr. Gua. Good to see you. Good to be on. Good. Great to have you. Andre, we've had so many offline conversations for well over a decade about all kinds of issues, mostly when I'm calling you asking for advice and help. But I've always been curious about this. Your leadership philosophy and approach comes from where? Learning a lot by listening to people and trying to allow them to be their best. I think it's really important in my job to actually try to provide the context, the direction, the guidance, but also make sure that people run with their project, allow them to dream bigger. That's what I've been trying to do at John Terry Cancer Center. And our investigators have been very successful in, in moving the field forward and very impactful. You know, the John Thurr Cancer Center, an ex exceptional nationally, internationally recognized um, cancer center for its, for its clinical work, for its research, for its care of so many people. But Andre, let me ask you this. One of the themes and lessons in leadership is about innovation, change, and thinking big. Your vision for the John Thurr Cancer Center, when you were not selling it, but trying to explain to others. Did some say, Andre, geez, just, we can't do that. How much of your job as leader was convincing others of, as to what was possible? Yes, obviously, when you, when you think of the future, not, not everyone is aligned and understands where the future is going at the same pace, by definition. So um, as part of um, um, being a leader in the cancer program is really uh, make sure that everyone understands that we are very fortunate really to be in very unprecedented times in, in medicine and particularly in oncology. I would say that medicine is going to change more in the next 
15, 20 years and it changed in a hundred years. And we're very fortunate in oncology that we are the forefront of this. And without going into the detail now, but I think that just focusing on data, precision medicine and cell therapy is gonna be really the big triplet of the triad of treatment of cancer. And to make sure we answer two of the question, the actually only two relevant question in oncology, every patient wants to know what's my best option now. And as a society, we want to know what's the best sequence of care. So we can rationalize, optimize the resource and make sure we can continue to afford this innovation. Mm. Mary. Yeah, and Dr. Gua, thank you so much for that. And obviously there is the medical side to cancer care, but let's talk about empathy and leadership a little bit. I had a personal story where I went through my mom's cancer diagnosis and she received great care at John Thurer Cancer Center. But the biggest thing that I realized was the empathy factor. Can you talk about empathy and leadership and, and how is that tied into the treatment that you're providing your patients? I, um, you know me enough to know that I uh, fully believe and embrace the empathy and compassion aspect of what we do. It is actually an amazing specialty in medicine at large, being in oncology, because it's still a big reset as a diagnosis. Although we can really cure about half of the cancers, this is definitely a life, thing, a life changing event for all patients after the diagnosis. So having not only the science, but putting in a human perspective where you can actually guide your patient and build this relationship with your patient. I spend time when I see my patient the first time around so that we build this trust and relationship because we're gonna to have to work together to guide them towards the healing process and their journey. So <clears throat> how do you um, insufflate this, if you want to say? I think we have a John Durgensis and there's something very special. We know because our patient keeps telling us that that we have not only a 99 percentile um, patient satisfaction, but beyond these numbers that are sort of survey, really what matters is that on how each patient feels that they are part of the family and being very highly subspecialized. So having the expertise and bringing the empathy part of the equation is really, I think the foundation of the recipe, if you want to call it for lack of a better word, or really uh, the best success of the patient. I'm going to follow up on this, <clears throat> and Mary, um, Mary's talk consistently about the importance of empathy and compassion, and the I don't know why people call it soft skills, Mary. They're 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 incredibly important because when you use exactly. the term soft, it implies to some people they're not as important. But I'm curious about this, Andre. <clears throat> We've done a lot of work in the HMH Hackensack Meridian Health Physician Leadership Academy that you know well, and one of the areas we focused on is a connection between wellness and leadership, wellness and productivity. Dr. Amy Freeman has joined us, the Chief Wellness Officer at HMH on Lessons in Leadership. What is your view, Dr. Gua, of wellness you, you, and you, leadership, please? No, you, you're exactly right, Steve, is that you know, we think of empathy and, and compassion in the context of a vulnerable patient because that's what it is. And I actually do believe what we call bedside manners is not a soft skill, is essential to the healing process. There's no question about this. Patients put their trust and their life into their our hands. So this is our responsibility to, uh, to help them as much as possible. I just want to touch base one more time and one more minute on a patient before we talk about the other aspect of empathy is that uh, we're gonna actually pilot a program on brain health and cancer at John Torrey Cancer Center with the help of the wellness program of HMH and Dr. Leopold and his team, because I believe this is really important. And I would say in healthcare, across healthcare, this is one of the lowest hanging fruit to really improve the experience and outcome of patient. All the chronic disease, we don't engage enough the power of brain health at large. So, but 
we think about this again as patients, but well beyond, you're right, Steve, the context of healthcare, this is how we use empathy with our team members, including our other physicians who are all human beings at the end of the day. People right. went through two years of COVID, a very difficult time at a personal level, working hard, nurses really super devoted. I mean, I, I, it sounds cliche to say this, but I think we need to remind that nurses saved the world, period. And I think this is really important to understand. When I was um, working during the COVID every day, at night entering data in our COVID registry that served as a model for the CDC and the FDA who understand COVID at the beginning, we had 4,000 patients in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. The patients were entered in a registry with our nurses. I remember Easter weekend on 2020, our nurses at 11 o'clock at night were entering in data after, you know, after uh, treating patients all day. So this is important to our team members, but also important as a leader with the other physician. You need to try to understand the personality of each of one of them so that it can help you guide them where they need to be. And people need to be recognized and feel comfortable. There's nothing more right. distracting than for people to come to work and to be productive, efficient, and caring to other individuals than if they are not in a good space That's themselves. Right. So this is important, you're right. Mary, um, I know we have just a couple of minutes left and I just want to remind folks, I mentioned Dr. Amy Freeman, you can also check out Lessons in Leadership's website. Mary, our team will, uh, Sylvester will put it up. Uh, Bob Garrett, the CEO, has joined us. Dan Varga, uh, Chief Medical Executive, uh, Physician Executive, has joined us. Andre, wow, so many other HMH leaders have joined us over uh, these last couple of years. Mary, last question for Dr. Wah. Yeah, definitely. I noticed just in your mannerisms uh, talking today, you obviously are very calm and calculated in your approach to communication and it leadership. Is. Yeah. And talk about that, though, because over the past two and a half years, how did you remain calm, confident with the pandemic? Because there was so much uncertainty. So can you just talk about that a little bit? No, it's a really good point. I mean, the, um, you know, one thing that I did with a team early on with a, with a COVID is uh, have essentially a webinar every morning. And then as things got better over time, we did it uh, less frequently just to inform people. And I was walking around the cancer center on a daily basis, sometimes twice a day, just to talk to nurses, to reassure people, we're gonna, we're gonna go beyond that. We're gonna work together. We are not gonna stop what we do. We can't give up on our patients, cancer patients. So this is a lot of reassuring and just showing that, you know, we keep going, doing things, what we have to do, we have to adjust. But I think that in a storm like this, you had to continue um, you know, our mission and our mission just got bigger for a while, but everyone being recognized, it was really palpable on how the dedication that, to be a nurse in oncology, you have to be obviously love what you do, but to be a nurse in oncology and dealing with COVID or other nurses doing with COVID, when I went to the ICU, one needs to remember that this is the first time that healthcare providers dealt with a disease that they thought would kill them and could kill their family. So they would go home and actually sleep in their garage or in their scrub or, or afraid of their affecting their family. So that obviously applied to the cancer center. So to your point of communication is that continue to have the mission, the vision to try to move forward and continue to help patients one day at a time. And it was very rewarding because we were the only institution, I think, in the tri-state area that kept all the program going, the CAR-T cell, the research, the phase one, so that we can improve the life of our patients. That's what we're here for. Dr. Andre Kwa, Mary talked about you being calm. I've known you for well over a decade, and I don't remember seeing you frazzled or thrown off. And if you were, you kept it where it needed to be. And for a leader, 
that's what other people need to see around you. Uh, Andre, I cannot thank you enough for joining us on Lessons in Leadership and to the Hackensack Meridian Health family, the family, the team at the John Thor Cancer Center. Uh, cannot thank you enough. Thank you, Andre. Thank you for having me on. Have a good day. You got it. That's Dr. Guang. That's Mary. We'll be right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, Resourcing the World, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Yeah, the Lessons in Leadership, last couple minutes, I asked Elvin Badger, our director, our leader, to stay on. I mean, you heard Dr. Gua talk about being calm, and we've talked about this before in Lessons in Leadership, and I keep calling you out on this. That's in a good way. I keep asking, how do you keep it like this? I mean, calm, and because we're very similar that way. So um, <laughs> that was a joke, Elvin. I know. I was trying to hold it in. <laughs> Frank, Frank, who's the head of all audio here, is laughing his butt off right now. I know he is. Elvin, other than that personality, is it, what is it? Is it spirituality? Is it perspective? What is it that keeps you like that? I'm being serious. I think it was the way I was raised. My mother would always say, you know, don't let people see you sweat. Don't let, don't let people see you upset. You know, you always want to put off a positive vibe when people meet you and see you. So I just took it from her and I, I try my best to stay calm. You could even ask Frank when we work together. I'm, I'm never like really upset or riled up. And Frank, you can pop in and, 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 Frank, pop in. and attest to this that I've always. No tried matter to... what, Elvin. I'm sorry. No matter what. I mean, you know, I have kids. I don't, I'm, sometimes I'm not calm with the kids, but I do my <laughs> best to always stay calm when I'm, when I'm working in a professional environment. Frank, you attest to that. Oh, absolutely. Um, as he says, I've, I've commented on that many times with him and, you know, just kind of give him accolades about it. I'm not that way. Um, so, <laughs> so when, you know, when you recognize that, you learn from other people just as well. And I, I've tried to, in my later stage of, of my career, try to go that route. So stay on Frank's point. Uh, and by the way, we're going to be talking about this book because the Dalai Lama, Mary, Mary sent me this book and trust me, there was a message in sending it to me. Like, you better chill quick. So Frank, to Frank's point, Frank and I are, let's call it just a little more mature <clears throat> than some of you. Frank, we can change. Can we not as leaders? Oh, if, you, if you're going to be a leader or if you're going to be a good leader, you have to understand that change is going to be something that you're going to have to uh, do. You're going to have to adapt because as you lead other people, you're going to have to change. Everybody's different. Yeah. Mary, you changed a lot. Got a few seconds left. Yeah, I, I've changed. I've gone from pretty good. It is what it is. That's your personality. Awesome. That's it. No, you it, it, no, no, no. And Steve and I talk about it all, all the time. Yesterday morning, you know, literally something happened. And I said, Steve, you can just call and, you know, you don't have to say you're, you're going to talk fast and you're going to, you know, just take a deep breath, say what the issue is, and then we're going to fix it. And and in changing that mentality of just keeping focused, get your eye on what the goal is. And immediately you can fix a problem a lot faster. Yeah, Scarlett behind the camera is going like this. Wrap it up. Well, I just want to say one thing, though, Steve. Our what? phone conversations, my calmness is rubbing off on you. It is. 
So I just want to I just want to say that. Don't edit that out. Then. Now, now say goodbye, Stan. To Alvin, to Frank, to Mary, to Scarlett, to April, to Sylvester, to our team. That I don't miss Amy. anyone. Steve, Amy. 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 Amy, I'm sorry. Closed caption. It takes Thank a village more than that. Lessons in leadership. See you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, Resourcing the World, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen, and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. A tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life.